Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Kevin, when you think about it, an audience's first introduction to a show is its graphic. That image should tell us before we even buy our ticket what we'd be seeing that evening, who is it about, what is its tone. If you close your eyes and you thought of Death Trap, Sweeney Todd, The Lion King, you're not only seeing their posters, you are seeing the work of today's guest. For over 40 years, Frank Verlizzo has been a poster designer who has given the world some of the most iconic imagery in the American theater, over 300 images, in fact. To tell us what it was like to design those posters, plus many others, here is the one and only Frank Verlizzo. Frank, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, guys. Thank uh, you. Thank you. First of all, we have to say Frank is the only guest so far who's provided a full breakfast for us. This is true. So a big thank you to Joe <laughs> yes. and to Frank. Yes, the bar for, has been set. Yes, this is... So everybody else, if you're listening, when we interview you, <laughs> we want breakfast. We want a big breakfast. That's right. You guys have set the bar way too high for us. How did you get? So, where are you from originally? We should ask you. Where are you from originally? Well, I was born in Manhattan, uh-huh. but I was raised mostly in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Went to high school of art and design in Manhattan. You did? Was that a part? Was like a charter school? Or, or no, is it's it, public school. It's public school. But that... you did at that point in time. I think it's changed uh, now. But at that point in time, you did have to test. You, there was a drawing test. There mm-hmm. was a life drawing test. So it was pretty stringent. Yeah. And you had to show a portfolio. All in high the, school. Yes, for high school. My gosh. And, That's high school. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, I was very thrilled that I had been accepted there. And then from there, I went to Pratt Institute. When did you know that drawing was something that you wanted to do for a living? Well, as a, as a young kid, I had no idea you could make a living ah, doing it. Yeah. I just thought it was these magical, I don't know, how did these billboards get here? Right. I no idea. But that was one great thing high school did teach me, was that it was a profession. Right. And you could make money doing it, and you could make a living doing it. That was thrilling once that light bulb went off. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I always, always loved movies. So my entire portfolio to get into art and design was all movie posters. So you would do your own? I would do my own version of... Whatever, Paper Moon, or I don't know. Yeah. Who, who was your favorite movie designer? Uh, at the time, Richard Amsel, uh, who died very, very young, but he was brilliant. Saul Bass, who was more a graphic designer, but I was also heavily interested in graphics. So I sort of would straddle the two. And when I got to Pratt Institute, my illustration professor was David Bird, who designed oh, Godspell and right. Follies. Follies. Yeah. yeah. And fortunately for me, he saw that I had the potential of knowing how to encapsulate uh, a theater piece into a two-dimensional design. And he, when I was graduating, asked me to uh, interview with the agency. He used to do all his posters, and they hired me, and that's how I started. What agency was that? It doesn't exist anymore. It was called Blaine Thompson. All right. Pretty fabulous. It was like a... So right out of of the Pratt Institute? Uh, Maybe a year... A year after Pratt, I sort of kicked around. I wasn't sure. I thought I wanted to freelance. Right. But uh, after a year of trying to do that successfully, I thought, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> right. Getting to Blaine was amazing because now I was surrounded by theater. Did, they, did agencies focus strictly? I, I know nothing about this kind of mm-hmm. world. Do, do agencies focus strictly on one field? Or will they do... Uh, it, depends, it depends on the agency. Yeah. This agency existed to service the theater industry. Uh-huh. That's mm. what they did, 100%. 
I think we worked on 95% of all the theater in New York, which is staggering coming out of one place. Looking back at that time, were there any specific images that you saw that you said, yes, that totally captures what that Broadway show is about or what? Well, the one I remember the most, and it, I can't even say that I saw the show, but mm-hmm. I knew the movie well, yeah. was applause. I remember walking down Times Square and looking up and seeing the giant applause billboard over the Palace Theater, thinking, wow, that's what I want to do. That is really fabulous. And I knew it was all about Eve, so I sort of got got what it was about. Of course, um, yeah. Yeah, so that was like thrilling. David Byrd, going back to David Byrd. Yeah, love David Byrd. Tell me about your relationship with him. What what did you learn from him? What did you take away from him? Well, David actually was unusual at Pratt because he actually taught his class in his studio every week, which was on actually just a block away from the campus. So it was very convenient. Uh, he was he was a great airbrush artist. So aside from the uh, conceptual uh, part of doing a show or a movie. He would also show you how to cut masks and you know, to clean his airbrush, you know, all this stuff. Right. Plus, watching him work was, you know, amazing. But he did tell me a really funny story about Godspell, which I thought was really great. At the time, the at Blaine Thompson, mm-hmm. when there was a big show coming, or a show they felt was going to be very important, mm-hmm. they would get a lot of outside artists to design for it. So they would show like 10 posters from 10 different artists. And David did his Godspell poster in Magic Marker, which was gorgeous. The producers loved it, and they said, yes, we love this. So the art director at Blaine said, David, they love this poster. David said, oh, great. David spent two weeks airbrushing the piece of art, brought it in to the art director, and the art director said, oh, we printed that already. They printed the Magic Marker (laughs) comp of his Godspell. And if you look at the Godspell art, it's Magic Marker. It's not a painted piece. That's incredible. Harry had Harry had this beautiful thing that he had painstakingly uh, done. They never used it. Like we just like the mock up. It's fine. Yeah, Yeah, just like that's that's great. Can Can you talk a little bit about your process? Well, over the years, the process has evolved. So let's talk about at the beginning. How did how did this first go when you first got into the business? Well, at the beginning, it was here's a script. The first script they gave me was Angela Lansbury and Gypsy, and they were only going to, they wanted a submission of portfolios from artists so that they would choose three, the producers would choose three artists who wouldn't then design for it. And they narrowed it down to three people, and it was Hillary Knight, David Byrd, and myself, oh my gosh. which oh my I thought gosh. was, you know, I really couldn't believe it. They wound up using Hillary Knight's piece of art, which was beautiful. It, yeah. And um, that was really with no input. No one said, here, this is Gypsy. We want it to look blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, there was no direction, no instruction. Whereas now you, I have quite a few pre-meetings where the client, either the creatives or the producers or the designers would give me a little bit of a sense of where they're headed or where they're going. But that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. What was the first show you designed, the first Broadway show that you designed? Uh, there were kind of a, a clump in a row mm-hmm. that... You know, you're designing over months, and then all the shows happen all at once. Uh-huh. It was Travesties, Tom Stoppard's Travesties, right. a play called The Poison Tree, and followed very quickly American Buffalo and Death Trap. It was kind of all in a clump. Well, that's exciting. And Yeah. I was not a great script reader. Mm-hmm. I could read a script and know what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but I really couldn't tell you if it had potential as a, <laughs> got a hit, a on hit show. Yeah. 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 So I would treat every show like it was... Uh, chorus line. I mean, because to me, That's good. it had the potential of being that. And many times it would happen to be like, oh my God, whoever thought this would be a hit. There was a show, uh, Christopher Durang's uh, Beyond Therapy, uh-huh. the first time it was done. Everybody at the agency was wild. I mean, we, we were passing the script around. It was hilariously funny. It was great. Everybody was like killing themselves trying to get to work on this thing. And we went to the first preview and <laughs> I was stunned at how not funny it was. It's a beautiful read. Somehow, I've never seen it translated where it's actually funny there's some magic somewhere that happens when you you sit through a show and think wow this show is just perfect Mm -hmm. and you realize all the 
disparate parts that had to collide to make it perfect. And one that's been around now for quite some time and is so synonymous with the show is Death Trap. That was another script like Beyond Therapy where Mm -hmm. everybody was just, we were just all nuts over it. And I'm a big murder mystery fan. So I was going to commit murder if I didn't work on this thing. So (laughs) I did quite, quite a lot of stuff. And they narrowed it down to two things that I did. One was the eyes and the other one was a a big um, number two pencil that had blood streaming down from the lead. It was actually really nice. I liked it. Oh, that's cool. But they loved, loved, loved the eyes. And, you know, they were, they were my eyes because I had a little mirror on my desk and I just sort of drew a graphic of my eyes. I only made them blue because I thought that was a much better color for uh, advertising. I so was really thrilled with that. Those are your eyes peeking out at us. Those are my those eyes. Those are Frank's eyes. I love that. My graphic <laughs> eyes. Graphic <laughs> eyes. <laughs> with blue contacts. <laughs> and the, the Daily News at the time, this was a big thrill for me. Uh, little Foxes was just about to open, and the poster had Elizabeth Taylor's eyes. And there was a little blurb on page six saying who had the most famous eyes on Broadway. And they had mine, and they had hers. <laughs> All my- and you, you know what a big Elizabeth Taylor fan I am. So I was like, oh, my God. Compared to Elizabeth. How fabulous is this? Sharing page six together. Congratulations. Oh, I love that. What was the first big billboard or marquee that was yours? Do you remember? The first time you turned that corner and you were like, oh. Hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't for a show. It was for a Stevie Wonder album. Hey. That counts. It was, it was the last billboard on that block-long billboard yeah. before oh. they knocked it down. It was for Stevie Wonder's uh, Songs in the Key of Life. <laughs> I brought everyone I knew to that billboard. And there wasn't a person I knew oh, that yeah. did not go there. And when with you me. when you sign the um your your work, what do you sign it as? Fravor. Fravor, which is F R A for Frank, B E R for Verlizzo. Great. No one, you know, everyone would look at my last name, and I could see a haze Verlizzo. come over yeah. their eyes. Uh, and that was very early on in high school, and I started signing Fravor, which I thought was easier. Sweeney Todd. Oh, Sweeney Todd, how fantastic. Yeah. And I'm curious because the image on the poster is the same image in which they end Act 1 in those same positions with the the rolling pin up and the the knife up. Totally. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, interestingly enough, and this was something, once again, you work on something, and I don't really know what's going on on the other side. The press agent for Sweeney Todd was this great woman, uh, Mary Bryant. Mm -hmm. She was really tough as nails. But I remember for Sweeney Todd, she uh, came to me during the rehearsal process and said, I just want you to know that Hal, Harold Prince, mm-hmm. held up your artwork today and told them that he wanted the show to be as good as this piece of art. It's like blown away by that. But she did not tell me they were doing that pose. And I didn't know that until we went to the first preview. And I was like, Wah! and it's, it's a part of every production of Sweeney Todd. It yes. wasn't just yes. that production. It is a part of Sweeney Todd. Oh, yeah. So I love that. That's very cool. Yes. I thought that was truly, truly cool. How did you come up with the images to begin with? It's uh, the hard sell of a show. Yeah, and and once again, it was one of those shows. I was now working at J. Walter Thompson Entertainment Group. Mm -hmm. And J. Walter Thompson, being this huge conglomerate, had a lot of money to spend on presentations and stuff like that. And we must have hired at least 20 outside artists to design for this show, plus all of the art directors who worked at J. Walter Thompson. Everybody wanted to work on it. It sounded great. Mm -hmm. And I had found this woodcut of this man and sort of took off from there. Uh, drew Mrs. Lovett in the same style and redrew him so that you know it was all of a piece. I'm not sure if I knew that the look of it was going to be industrial, like the Industrial Revolution. I think they did say, period-wise, it's Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. looking. They also happened to love, it had narrowed down between mine and another artist did a uh, silhouettes of Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney holding up razors and they didn't have heads, which is a great idea, but in silhouette, they looked kind of like Frankenstein because yeah. it was yeah. just a block, yeah. a block at the end. So it really didn't, but it still was neck and neck. And I didn't know they were actually going to use mine until the week they were running the ad. They finally said, no, we're going to use this one. Had gotten uh, costume sketches for Mrs. Lovett. And in the sketches, she was really big. I thought, wow, she, Anna Lansbury's either gained a lot of weight since <laughs> I've seen her last. They said, no, 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 she's going to be padded. She's going to wear all this padding. So I went to her apartment to show her the stuff. I showed her the first one, which was big Mrs. Lovett. 
it. And she said, can I ask why she looks so big? And I said, well, I, I think uh, you're going to wear padding. She said, all right, well, let me see the rest of these. So I showed her the rest. And of course, the thinnest one, she said, oh, that's the one we're going to use. She said, because I'll just play it fat. And I thought, yes. good for you. Yes. And she did. And she did. She did. <laughs> she did. You would have thought. She had so much weight on her, she couldn't run up and down those oh stairs. I mean, she just looked very winded and old. Yeah. I Ought to Be in Pictures has a gorgeous, gorgeous design. And it's a play of Mr. Simon's that isn't, it's not really performed anymore. And no, I don't know if it was even that much of a hit when it first. No, it was moderate, moderate yeah. hit. The thing I remember most about it, at the time, once again, pre-technology, when you did a piece of art that you wanted to, in my mind, was going to be in full color, you had to do it in black and white first and kind of send out for what we would what we called films so there'd be film overlays with each different color to show you where the color was going to sit however the, the thing about those comps comprehensive pieces of art was that the film unfortunately although had had the color in the right place when you had 10 pieces of film on top of each other it started to look muddy nothing ever looked crisp white white it was always this filmy kind of a background with color in it but you got a good sense of what it was Manny Eisenberg the producer mm-hmm. loved that piece right away and I sent it to the printer and explained that it had an awful lot of color in it. The printer loved it so much that instead of just printing a litho, he did it in silkscreen. And he used like 25 different layers of silkscreen to create this poster. Plus a laminate area of where the postcard is. So the postcard is actually shiny, but the rest of the poster, the white is flat, which I, I didn't even know that he was doing that until I opened the box. Wow. And I was like, wow. So that was exciting to be able to, to get a piece of art that actually was that beautifully put yeah. together. You know, a lot of the times, too, the things that you, once again, because technology wasn't involved and you would pass a ticket broker's office and you wanted your window card to be the one that everybody would notice. Right. You use a lot of trick stuff like printing on mylar paper or um, silk screening so that the color was so vibrant. That's something that sort of has a little bit fallen by the wayside because now window cards are almost opening night gifts. Things are digital now and you've seen. Oh, true. Yeah. And and window cards are relatively cheap to print now at that point. The, originally, they were very, very costly, but it was also one of your main pieces of advertising, so they right. were willing to spend money on that. That was the thing about Death Trap, just to get back to that yeah. quickly, that I was going to say, and I blanked. Death Trap got minimally good reviews and ran for six years, and that was before direct mail. The That's the difference between then and now. Now we have email blasts, so yeah. you can buy tickets for a show that's a month out. Back then, the, the only thing you could do is cut out a coupon in the New York Times and mail it in. So if you wanted to see Death Trap, you would cut out this coupon. But chances are, previews were pretty empty because people wanted to know what the show was or hear about it before it started. So the fact that it had that longevity at a a time before direct mail and before technology Mm -hmm. is mind-boggling to me. That was the point I wanted to make. Yeah, how important advertising is because of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's the only way you're going to get... But I remember going to shows, you know, some big musicals in previews first previews and there'd be nobody there i mean it was just not you couldn't sell tickets until well, and there's a time word when, like, got the out. reviewers really did come on opening night they right? really Absolutely. did go home and write their review overnight to have, make it the deadline yeah. we used to run back to the agency after the show oh yeah and i remember you know the account person calling clive barnes if, if he would give them an indication as to what the, his review was going to be like or so that was that was always fun. We always loved, loved, loved oh, that. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. I missed out on a lot of good parties, but yeah. <laughs> we were always back at the office, but it was okay. That's true. Was, <laughs> was, was there any review where they mentioned your graphic, your art? Uh, the one I remember is Getting Away with Murder, mm. Stephen Sondheim and George, George Firth's play. Yeah. A oh, graphic wow. of a gargoyle <laughs> holding a gun. And the the press agent at the, the meeting the next day, we'll do our quote ad meeting and pulling quotes and showing ad designs and all that stuff. The reviews were fairly devastating, so they knew they weren't going to print a big ad. Uh, The one review they thought was positive, I think, was Newsday, where she said the gargoyle is adorable. (laughs) (laughs) So they actually printed the ad. They actually did an ad that said the gargoyle is adorable. (laughs) Last seven perfs. But that, once again, the only reason that ever happened was because the producer was a doll and had a great sense of humor. Uh, Roger Berlind, he, he just said, you know... 
let's just do that. It's kind of funny. It's our positive And we, we turned, I, I did the art so that the gun was pointing to the gargoyle's head <laughs> rather than out at the, uh, the audience. <laughs> That's a side of, of, of your job that I didn't realize, that after a show opens that you'll still be called upon to then do any quotes or to, to, re- oh, sure, to sure, re-advertise sure. it because now we've got a chance to like, I, yep. never, I didn't even think part of, of Part of my job at the agency was when the show opened to design quote ads and follow through on how, how the whole advertising campaign would look throughout its life. It was kind of getting popular after I'd been in the business about maybe five or six years. It was kind of getting popular where people would say, well, maybe we should change the whole look, which would, of course put a stabbing pain in my heart totally. that they were thinking of doing that. And we, the agency would always try to convince them that if you do that, you're going to confuse the public. Mm-hmm. No one's going to know what's your show. Mm-hmm. You know, you look how much money you've spent establishing this image. Why would you change it? And I think after a few disastrous experiments, producers realized that was not, not the way to go. Lincoln Center, I think they're changing now, but uh, with the new regime. But for many, many years, their philosophy was, we have artwork, 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 which was all James McMullen's yes. beautiful painting. Yeah. And then once the show opened, they switched to photography so that they would still use James McMullen's right. uh, type design. Uh-huh. But now it was photos of whatever, whatever sure. they thought was important about the show. So uh, that was their their theory of working, which was, you know, fine. Yeah. Had you ever worked, worked for on them. a show that uh, your, your, your art design was used for a bulk of time and then it, it, they did switch it? They did change? Or have you changed it or something um, else? Which completely, which like you said, rebrands it. I mean, it's a rebrand. Yeah. I'm just trying to think in my head if any yeah. shows has ever given us two different versions of the same thing. Well, it's not that Maybe it's not. totally different when I, I did the Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, yeah. Scarlet Pimpernel. of that show. Well, I was just going to say they had so many versions of the show that when they changed the art, it kind of was, oh, okay, well, they want it to look new, right. I guess. But they all, I mean, they kept the title, yeah. title treatment, and they kept the Pimpernel flower the way I had it designed uh-huh. it. But it had very various permutations. They did various things with it. Um, I can't think of anything of mine that was mm-hmm. totally switched. Yeah. Um, like I said, after a couple of times, producers got the idea that you know we're really confusing the message here. We uh-huh. have to stick with what right. we Not had sure, in the yeah. first place. You know, I think I know you didn't design it, but Lacage did that. Oh, yeah. they, they changed their uh, their, yeah. their brand because the original brand was it was cool. It was uh, right the Eula oh, the Eula graphic. Yeah, and then they changed to a a woman in a show and a in a right. showy costume, which I think was probably done to clearly a woman. Like oh, very, oh very clearly, clearly a woman, a woman. Yeah. absolutely this a woman, was very yes. clearly a woman and a gorgeous woman. I don't know who the model was, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. but I you know once again. That that show was about a subject that was foreign to many, yeah, many, right. many people. Yeah. And I think they just wanted to embrace an audience that would be a little hesitant to go to it. Yeah. Did, you, did you find the same issue with As Is? Oh, uh, n- no, not at all. As Is was produced by John Glines. And there's actually a funny story about As Is, which I will tell you. I worked with this uh, really nice-looking guy, um, Bruce Simons, and we had had a photo session for some some other thing that I was doing. It had nothing to do with shows. And I had a lot of pictures of him, a lot of portraits. And when As Is popped up, I had this idea of doing the medical envelope with this very hard edge face. So I used one of the, the photos of Bruce. I presented this to the producers, and they loved it. And I said, well, let me know when you've cast it, and I will re-photograph the actor in the same same way. John Glenn said, oh, no, we love this face. We want to use it just the way it is. So now I had to call my friend Bruce to tell him his face was approved. And I didn't even tell him I was using it on anything. <laughs> Little did I know they were going to actually choose it. And he was away. He was away for two weeks. At that time, when something was approved, it was done. Gone. It was going to the printer, right. designing ads. So this thing was way in production <laughs> when he came back from vacation. And I you know, called him and said, Bruce, I'm I don't know if I should apologize or congratulate you. You're welcome. But, <laughs> but your face is going to be all over the city because it was on buses. It was it was everywhere. And, and uh, as is was the first Broadway play about AIDS, correct? Yes. Yeah. Because the normal heart was at the public. Right. Yeah. And they they almost ran almost at the same yeah. time. Wow. Um, uh, but as is was uh, that that was quite a 
quite out there. It's an it interesting was, story, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. Your well, friend. it also taught me to be, before I present something, to just let whoever, whoever's <laughs> body part is in it. Joe's body, Joe's body is on the Sondheim and Company book cover. Yeah. He's Joe. wearing, he's wearing the uh, tuxedo with all the buttons. Joe, is that, is that you? <laughs> all oh, right. my gosh. And I had to hand make all those buttons because shows never made buttons at the time for a lot of those shows. Oh, right. So I had him hand make them. Wow. Once again, pre-technology. It was very painstaking. Your eyes, <laughs> Joe's chest. My God. We are <laughs> Sunday in the Park with George is my friend Babs's legs oh, and yes. my assistant John's legs. And wow. So, so you did the original artwork. There wow. was no second act. They just said, uh, here's the first act. And for some reason, they didn't even... There was no music. They, they didn't give me any of the music either. And they said, the second act takes place 100 years later. And I said, well, but what happens? <laughs> what is it about? Uh, I don't think they know yet. <laughs> so based on that, I just came up with the, uh, the more modern legs with the, the tear in the painting and more like, kind of like a rip in time, sort yeah. of. You know, to this day, when I actually analyze the show, and if I had known what it would be, I probably wouldn't have done that because there really isn't Bernadette Peters in the second act is 90 years old or however old she is. I probably wouldn't. I don't know. I think I may have thought differently, but they They, loved it right away. Uh, So do you have an idea of what you would have done? No, I actually had to design it again for the Kennedy center for uh, the celebration. Mm -hmm. And I just went a totally different route with a paintbrush. Uh, But instead of paint on the paintbrush, it was actually a painting. Of the mm-hmm. yeah. a detail of the painting, mm-hmm. baby, baby, another iconic. Logo. Yeah, I love that show. I love Maupy and Shire. Yeah, we, we, so, so do we. Shire is fantastic. So they really we. are fabulous. How were you, was that your first show where you were introduced to their work? Yeah, actually, I had worked with uh, Richard Maupy, yeah. although it was Maupy and Shire for uh, starting here, starting now. Oh, yeah. So that was way oh. way early on. You worked on starting here, starting now. Uh huh. Yeah. So for baby, I think it was. I don't know if I'm. Correct, but I think it was their first book musical. I might be wrong. It, I don't know. That went to Broadway. That went to Broadway. I think, yeah, that, had, for, that was commercial. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah uh, that's true. So once again, huge presentation, and I just stuck to graphics. I thought that was the way to handle it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was approved. Everybody loved it. It was great. The producer, Jim Freiberg, the mm-hmm. main producer. Mm-hmm. Fabulous, fabulous. So it goes to the printer. Is that who usually your liaison is with? I mean, you, you generally you at the have meetings with our, like Sondheim and stuff like that. But yeah, but that that's rare. Yeah, that's 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 an unusual circumstance or or rare circumstance. Yeah. Uh, mostly, it's the producer, general manager, press agent. But after the poster was printed and the show was in previews, I ran into Richard Mulpey on the street, and he said, "Oh, oh, I love your poster." And I said, "Oh, thanks. I'm so excited. I love your show." And he said, "Can I just tell you one thing, though? You know, all that music's backwards, right? Because I, once again, being a graphic designer and not a musician, I thought they looked the notes looked better flopped, and I thought, well, that doesn't really change the music. So I flopped it, and that's how I used it. And no one said anything or noticed it until." I thought I was so embarrassed. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry, but I'm not a musician. But he said, no, it's fine. I love it. I love it. I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> but once again, to this day now, whenever I'm dealing with music, or I'm so like, I treat it like. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, sacred yeah. cow because I'm so afraid to move anything. <laughs> or Black anything. and white dots <laughs> and stems. 
Can you tell us a little bit about a doll's life? Mm, I can tell you a lot about a doll's oh, yeah. life. Oh what do you want to know? Well, it's. <laughs> I, 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 I was actually in the process of switching agencies. Nancy Coyne called me and said, uh, Hal Prince called me and said, they need new artwork for a doll's life. And he asked for you, because that was after Sweeney Todd, right? I have mm-hmm. all my. It co- is. My, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he asked for you. So we want to fly you out to LA so you could see it and design something. She said, but the only thing is. You have to do it there. They need it immediately. So I thought, well, here's my new job. What am I going to say? No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, plus it was exciting. It was like, great, sure. So, however, I hate flying. That was the big caveat in this whole thing. Oh. But I did it. They had screwed up my hotel reservations when I got there. We were staying at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Very glamorous. Ooh. Everything about this trip was glamorous. Beverly Hills Hotel screwed up my reservation. They weren't sure what had happened, but they weren't sure what they were going to do with me. And I just happened to have been traveling with one of the producers, who is uh, Carol Shorenstein, mm-hmm. Hayes. And while this is going on with the uh, concierge, she came walking over. She said, what's the problem here? And of course, she practically owns the Beverly Hills Hotel. So... I had an entire house to myself. They gave me Robert Sigwood's uh, bungalow. Uh, So I was living palatially while I was there. But Joe uh, can attest to it. I was a nervous wreck because I had to go see the show that night and then design a presentation like a couple of days later and show it to Al Prince, which had me kind of like terrified. Right, you're the um, replacement. You're like the 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 one who's yes. going to save the day. They, the, well, yeah. they had a piece no of pressure. art that people were. The, the way it was described to me, they said people were laughing at it when the when the three sheet went up. So they ripped it down immediately. Um, so I don't know where that piece of art came from. Love but to find that. I know. So I thought, okay, I can do this. This is yeah. what I do. I do presentations. I should be able to do this. And plus, he knew that he wanted it to be designed like an Edward Munch painting. That's what the set looked like. That was the overall feel of the production. So I knew I had a focus. It wasn't like I was floundering. I, mm-hmm. I knew what I had to do. So Edward Munch, when he would do his woodcuts and drawings, was all pen and ink. So I had like 4,000 flare pens, and I did 12 totally different pieces of art for the show after I saw it that first night. Been up all night um, long. That basically. night, the next night. Yeah, I think I had two two days, and then I had to show him. Mm-hmm. Went to the theater. Once again, this was the same press agent, Mary Bryant, the mm-hmm. tough press agent. Oh. And uh, she brings me into this kind of like green room, which was definitely smaller than this room that we're in now. And she said, Hal will be right down. So I'm sitting there nervously waiting with these 12 drawings. Comden and Green walked in and introduced themselves. And I'm like, I'm so starstruck. It's like, oh my God, this is Comden and Green. And then after I, I you know, introduced myself, I thought, okay, they should leave. Why aren't they leaving? They should be leaving now. <laughs> because Mary told me it's only going to be you and Hal. Hal doesn't want anybody else there. Larry Fuller came in. Five, there were like 10 people in the room before... Hal Prince came in, and I thought he was going to come in and say, okay, everybody, you know, scoot out. Yeah. No, he said, okay, let's see them. So held up the first one, and I didn't even, like, have it up yet. And he went, no, next. And I really, I thought, somebody just kill me right now because mm-hmm. I'm not going to live through this. Held up the second one, and he looked at it for about a minute, and he said, that's it. I love it. It's beautiful. That's it. That's it. And then everybody in the room, oh, it's fabulous, fabulous. Every, everyone always waits for one person to... Right. <laughs> start so i thought okay that's great and i said well i have 10 more and he said oh i don't want to see them that's it then i had 10 drawings that he never looked at that i thought were getting better and better as i went on number two i was building right i was building up to the 10th one that's how doll's doll's life happens it's a great do you great piece of art all the sketches and all the drafts that don't get used do you keep them yes but and this is totally my fault when you're doing this stuff every day and it's it's you know it's kind of your job and yeah. it's work a day and you see it you see it you see it all over your yeah. office you, you know i used to have huge huge huge, huge files um, from agency to agency sometimes i would just leave the files there because it was like where am i going to put yeah, all this stuff right. yeah in new york city so, i mean like yeah storage so over the years a lot of that stuff just sort of fell by the wayside you you know, if I knew, you know, 20 years from now, you'd be able to scan all this and put it on right. a disc. I've, you know, so a lot of that stuff is gone, gone with the wind. Um, some of it is around, but not nearly what should be. I'm hoping there'll be a book. Well, tell tell your publisher friends. I'm, <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm available. I'm ready. <laughs>
1987 was a good year because the drama desk, uh, you, they, they got a special Yes, award. I got a special drama desk award. Yes, yeah. tell so us glamorous. about that. That's, that's really it cool. Was, I saw the award upstairs, too. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that's when they actually had a metal plate. Yeah, yeah. like a real, they don't, like, yeah. They don't do that anymore. But I was actually, I was working at Sereno, and I remember this so clearly. I was working at my desk, and one of the account people came back from lunch, and he said, I, you know, I was at this lunch. He said, I think you just won a drama desk award. I said, <laughs> I said, are you kidding? He said, no. He said, I think you should check. He said, I'm pretty sure they were talking about you. And that's how I found out. I mean, nobody called to tell me. No, or, was like, hey, he maybe you want to come to this lunch. No, nothing. So that's I thought inc- that was hilarious. It's like, wow, how glamorous a show business. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But I mean, then they had the award ceremony and sure. all that, and that was great. But talk about finding out about it in a very strange way. Yeah, right. Yeah. It and and it was for special recognition for contri- contributions yeah. to the um, I, f- I forgot the wording of it, but yeah. it's you know, for continued design of something. I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah. Quite honestly. That's it's very, wonderful. It's very wordy. I love, but it's oh, yeah. I was thrilled. And then going back to theater for a second, oh, yeah. the Sondheim celebration at the Kennedy Center. Yeah. Oh, where you where Talk you, about being in heaven. Right. I mean, so how did this come about and how did you come up with a visual look for well, that, that kind celebration? Of, yeah, that was a, a staggering project. And I remember when the Kennedy Center called me and we set up a meeting, they all came to my office in New York and there were like 10 of them. Oh and gosh. I'd never had, I don't know, that, that to me was, I was used to big meetings, right. but these were like 10 people who I didn't really know at all. Right. And they all looked very... Substantial. (laughs) I thought, oh my God. Um, But they didn't really, you know, they knew they were doing this massive project and pretty Mm -hmm. phenomenal, but they didn't really have a sense of what they wanted to do with it or how they wanted to sell it or what they wanted it to look like. So once again, they sort of left it up to me, which was wonderful. And I showed them many ways when I did the presentation, I showed them many ways of approaching it. The way that I actually thought was the best. They agreed was the one with the nine panels, so that you saw a little piece of each poster. But then that meant that I had to design nine posters rather than a poster. Just one, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, they're, in their thinking, they wanted one poster that would encompass the whole celebration, mm-hmm. which I think the seal does. Yeah. Once again, once I did that nine thing, because I really loved the way it looked. It looked very kind of looked like a museum. At, um, exhibition to me like these look at these fabulous shows and we were doing them all all together that's yeah. great so i just felt like it was a, a great way to approach it and they they agreed so then i went back and they were amazed the productions were amazing oh. i don't did know if you, you got to see them no but i wanted i to. did yeah i saw a oh, few of did. them did you have to work with each director on no that was when you were at least my experience is when you're working with an institutional theater, it comes from the top at that point, Michael Kaiser would pretty much approve everything. Yeah. He, you know, not in my presence, but he may have brought it around to show uh, Stephen Sondheim or maybe each individual director to get their take on it. You know, like, do you like this? Or yeah. You think it's off or whatever, but I don't even know if he went through that process. Interesting. Um, I know at Lincoln center theater, you would present to Bernie Gersten and Andre, Andre Bishop. I don't know what happened to it after that. They either approved it or they didn't. But if it got approved, they did it right in the room. It wasn't like they ever said, oh, well, we have to show this to no, that was it. You know, <laughs> Susan Stroman. You know, it yeah. wasn't like that. I'm surprised that we don't have more recognition for the artwork that goes mm-hmm. into oh, Broadway. Absolutely. Into musical it's really... I, I agree with you 100%, but of course I would. <laughs> well, so I'm sure that has nothing to do with the advertising part of it and all of that. But it just, it, it is so, yeah. so, your work and other artists' work is so synonymous with shows that it, you know, we yeah. haven't even gotten to Lion King yet. And Lion King was, oh, that right. was a major graphic that, talk about something that's going to be used in decades to come. You know, it, yeah. that that's a very, I mean, and I say simple with, with very respect, simple, yeah. But you know that that lion head and then the the graphic and the color and everything. I mean, like, yep. so talk talk us through that one. I mean, that was that's it, and that's we're talking we're going to Disney now. Yeah, <laughs> talk yeah. About a big company. Yeah, very big company. And once again, I was now working at Gray Entertainment, mm-hmm. and Gray is another monolithic ad agency. Mm-hmm. So when they 
heard the word Disney, you know, goodness knows they certainly lit up. Yeah. And so they had like all engines burning for this thing, including not just the entertainment division, which is where I worked, but all of Grey. So the presentation for Lion King was massive. Yeah. I mean, I was used to looking at a lot of artwork for presentations, but even this one gave me a headache. There was so much stuff. And, you know, I would very often sympathize with producers because I think, you know, I've been living, looking at this stuff now for a couple of weeks. They're walking into a room and they're being confronted by this stuff and they have to, they have to say, oh, I like that. So, you know, so how do you do that? Well, I, I guess, just to clarify, even for our listeners, in an ad agency that you work at, like Gray, they, they would have your in-house art artists, mm-hmm. you would yep. all come up with your version, yep. and then you would bring the producers, and then you'd be like, here we go, this right. is what we, you get to pick from. Right, but you all, you know, obviously it was done in a presentational fashion, it wasn't like... A museum, you know, when you walk in and pick right. The right, your favorite one. Right. Although for Lion King, there was so much stuff, so much artwork stuff, listen to me. Uh, <laughs> there was so much artwork that we did do a wall of work for them to look at. And it's a lot to take in. Yeah, it is a lot. But, you know, and so everyone's like, oh, I hope they pick mine. I mean, is, that, well, I mean, is there an element of that, that was the a other, little bit? That's always the other, I always thought was the good and bad thing about my job because as the creative director as well as a designer, was I, I was the one who hired all the other artists to work on things. And you're still... But I had to be the one to tell them, oh, well, they're not going to use it. They took mine. Right. <laughs> they're using mine. I'm so sorry. sorry. But um, <laughs> I'd be in the room when, you know, they'd be looking at something saying, what is that? Who, who even thought of that? It's terrible. You know, like you'd hear all this awful stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would just tell them, oh, um, you know, they didn't really, yeah, didn't work they're for new. them. They're new. Yeah. Of course, I would hear that about my own work, too, because right. they would have no idea oh, right. yeah. that I had anything that I had contributed. Uh, they just knew that I was the one making the presentation. So I heard pretty <laughs> ghastly things about some of my stuff, too. But I would come home and cry on Joe's shoulder, and then I'd laugh. <laughs> and then you get thicker skin yes, as time goes on. Yeah. Just, you know, it's like, whatever. It's not personal. Sorry it's just, you don't like yeah. it. But, yeah. but Lion King, because it was so simple, uh, they zeroed right in on it. And because it was yellow, taxi cab yellow. Yeah. Uh, they zeroed right in on it. And I think it's because my feeling is they are masters at merchandising. And they said, this is so simple and so easy to read. Put this anywhere. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You could, so, um, still, I mean, still, I mean, I just walked in the subway and there was one. I oh, mean, yeah. It's, it's still everywhere. Yeah, it still is everywhere. It's incredible. I went yeah. to London and there it is. I mean, that's, you know, we, we wish that artists like yourselves would get more recognition because you see these logos and they automatically conjure up a show 20 years later, 30 years later. If somebody wanted to get into this business now, what advice would you have for them? It's it's a little different now because unfortunately the ad agencies that exist sort of want to almost give the facade of being more corporate Mm -hmm. than what theatrical agencies used to be. Mm -hmm. So they have HR departments and, you know, things that they never had before. You know, I would go on an interview and I'd interview with the art director. Now, if you're showing your work, you have to show it to the HR person and they decide if you're going to, you know, you can get to show it to the art director. And that to me is like, well, I don't understand understand that process at all. So HR makes the first artistic decision. From what I understand, (laughs) yes, because I've recommended lots and lots of uh, Mm -hmm. young artists to call these agencies to show their work. And they all tell me, well, I talked to this woman in HR and, you know, I thought, what is that all about? They're not hiring. So the process is different. So I can't really speak to the process today. I think it's odd. The last agency I worked at, I stopped working there in 2010. Up to then, I would still see artists and hire artists. And I mean, to me, that was part of the fun was you got to see all these young artists and how they interpreted, you know, the revival of... uh, kismet yeah because you know i would think of kismet one way but they don't know kismet from a hole in the wall so they might think of it of a totally different way that might be kind of exciting young fresh yeah Yeah. is is there a show on your bucket list is there one show that you're like oh boy i wish i could yeah into the woods i was the bridesmaid for into the woods Mm. but yeah and i for the kennedy center they only did the junior version of it they did into the woods junior so it wasn't really one of their full productions okay but yeah i'd say probably into the woods is uh, fingers crossed up there down the line yeah we have to see that for sure i don't think encores will do it (laughs) no not yet (laughs) how long have you been working with them now i think this will be my uh fifth year 
50 years. So the last oh, yeah. five years I've done encores. Have you, do you have a favorite in all of those? Uh, show or art? Art. <laughs> uh, do I hear a waltz? Yeah. Oh, yes. Like I'm poster. excited about that, too. Yeah. We were just talking we're with Ted Chapin. We, and, he, and once again, you, you, your art comes up in the smallest way, and literally, too, because he said, oh, the R&H logo. That's that's. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. I did that R&H <laughs> logo. It was funny because years and years and years ago, Ted Chapin and Bert Fink, who, who worked there for many, many yeah. years, mm-hmm. called and said, you know, we've been looking at our stationery, and all our stationery is different. None of our stationery <laughs> looks the same. We want it to look like a corporation, so we want to change everything. And they asked me to come up with something, and that's what I came up with. They loved it, and it's all over the place. I love it. How exciting. <laughs> and once again, you know, on little CDs and stuff, it's about this big, yeah, but you can still tell it. Totally, you can still tell yeah, what it is. Totally. So awesome. I kind of like that. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm going to ask you this. What was the first Broadway show you saw? The f- I, I'm not yeah, even you're from sure. New York. That's right. I know, yeah. but believe it or not, since I lived in the movies, I was and theater was expensive. Six dollars mm-hmm. a ticket. Yeah. That was a very, very expensive. <sighs> My God. <laughs> um, I remember the first ad for Death Trap was when I realized years later because I had saved it. Highest price orchestra seat for Death Trap was sixteen dollars, and I thought, wow. That is mind-boggling. Kevin, get the time machine. Drop the I mic. can finally <laughs> afford to go mic. to the theater. Exactly. <laughs> Gosh. But um, the first show I saw was at Lincoln Center. That was a Broadway show, and it yeah. was Kismet with Alfred Drake and, uh, ah, I can't remember, Fran, Fran Jeffries. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. She used to be Mrs. Topper. She was on yeah, Topper. She was yeah. one of the ghosts. She was great. I used to love her voice, especially. So that was the, that was the first show that registered, yeah. So yeah. Alfred Drake and Kismet. Yep. Have you ever had a chance to design Kismet? No, and I would love to. Okay. Very not few many people kismets. do. Yeah, yeah not yeah. many kismets anymore. So this question may not be kosher, but we were talking oh. about it on the car ride up, and I have to, and we can cut it out if it's not, but it, we cannot, we don't want to know what you make, but we are so curious <laughs> how, do you, if you have an ad, that, or if you have a, an art piece of artwork that is goes all over the world, do you get it? Does the artist get a piece of that? Does the corporation own it? Yeah. It, I don't even know how if based it's contractual. On, yeah. Based on when it, once I left the first agency, Blaine Thompson, yeah. and went to, um, where was I after Blaine Thompson? Jay Walter Thompson. Um, oh, no, it wasn't, that isn't where it happened. I'm sorry. The third agency I worked at mm-hmm. was Sereno. And I had already reached a certain pay level at J. Walter Thompson and Sereno being a theatrical agency, and I totally understood it because that's where it came from, it was kind of pricey for them. So they decided and asked me, they said, how, how, why don't we do this so that anything you design, we pay you separately for, like a freelancer. Oh. Aside from your yeah. salary, you would get your salary. Yeah. But we, you know, we can't afford to pay you on the level that you would be used to, right. so why don't we do that? So it was kind of... I'm, I love gambling, so I thought, okay, that's kind of a gamble, but why not? I'll do that. And after a year of that, they came to me and said, look, we can't, we're paying you <laughs> too way much, too much money, too much. so let's, let's go back to a salary basis. And so, you know, it jumped up really nicely, but it depends on how you work it. Wow, so there's no set system for, for No, artists. there really isn't. Once again, agency life is kind of weird. Yeah. From that point on, any agency I worked at, I went in saying you would have to, I own the art. The the agency doesn't own the art. Good. I own the art as a personal Great. artistic thing. Right. And they were all fine with that. And Nobody, could you work with good. other, if you were with an agency, could you get still get hired by XYZ producer? No, definitely oh, okay. not. All right, no, cool. No, no. Just that's, there. That's it. You're with that agency. clients. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when you, going back to your design process, I wonder when you sit down and you're preparing, you're aware that this design is both going to be seen in this space that's mm-hmm. like an inch by an inch if it's in the paper, mm-hmm. but also could be on a billboard over Times Square. Yeah. So that doesn't that affect like what how you? Yeah, but that was the great training ground that Blaine Thompson provided yeah. because at the time the only format you had for your art was the New York Times, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So. The first introduction to anybody it was was going to be in black and white. Mm-hmm. Most big shows would have full-page ads, so you had a, a, an impact. Mm-hmm. But many smaller shows couldn't afford that, mm-hmm. so their ads would be small. And you, you needed your logo to pop out. Mm-hmm. So it was great training, knowing that you had a design so that it worked an inch high or 90 feet high right. if they were doing a billboard. And that was uh, very valuable. And 
certainly comes into play now with banner ads oh mm. because they come in all shapes and sizes. And I learned to make my artwork flexible. I design it so that I, in advance, know, okay, if you're doing a vertical, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing a horizontal, this is what you do to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's very valuable. Do you, do you prefer when you, before you present the work, do you prefer having a conversation with the staff saying, you know, I read the play and this is what I'm getting from it. So using words before the image actually comes mm -hmm. out, or do you just like to show them the image? Uh, it could it could run either way. If I have a pre-meeting or pre-meetings yeah. and we discuss these, they feel these are the important uh, parts of the play or the, or the message they'd want to get across or the feeling they'd want to get across. Uh, or I would say I read this and these are the things that popped out at me and I think I'm always, I'm always thinking of what's going to sell more mm -hmm. than is it going to look pretty or is it going to say what you want it to say? It's like, I want to, I'm going to look at an image. I want to spend money to see that. Yeah. And as a devout moviegoer, that was my, you know, if the movie had looked good, I'd go see it. Right, right. Yeah. So, and, you know, the movie could have been horrifically bad. The art was great. But the art was And wonderful. the art got me Now, there. before we go... Uh, can we do a little plug for Joe's business endeavor? Yes. Should I hand the, phone, the microphone over to him? Please. Yes. Oh, oh. So we'll explain that when we got here, uh, Joe put out a full, delicious, amazing breakfast for us that was homemade. Truly. And so we found out that Joe is now involved in a business endeavor. So, Joe, would you tell our listeners? What's it called? Yes. What's It's called Cookie Joe, J-O-U-G-H. See what they did there? Cookie, Cookie, Cookie Joe, which Joe. has a beautiful logo, by the way. But that's not how you spell your name, Joe. No, it's not how I spell it. <laughs> and what is it, Joe? It's a frozen cookie dough, but it's not the standard chocolate chip cookies. It's the Italian cookies that I grew up with. I came to the realization that if you want them, you have to go to a high-priced Italian bakery, right. but you don't get the experience that I had as a child, and that's you walk into a house and the smells of fresh-baked cookies, you know, the smell of anise, the smell of vanilla, the yeah. smell of almond, you know, wafting through. And that's what uh, prompted me to start exploring and doing this. Great. So we can buy it online. Uh, soon you'll yeah. be able to buy it online. Great. We'll, we'll post it when we We will uh, post yeah, it to our, our to our website. But uh, just so you know, Kevin and I are now 400 pounds heavier. <laughs> That's right. And so full and satisfied. So happy. So we need to now roll down the stairs and to the car. <laughs> Frank, this was absolutely wonderful. Oh, thank Truly you, special. guys. We saw, uh, we look forward to seeing more of your artwork. I know Misery was up this past season. Yes. Wonderful. And hopefully Prince of Broadway will be Yes, because it went over to, to, to Japan. Tokyo. Yeah, I yeah. worked on it. In, uh, for Japan, yeah, and hopefully it's like any talk about artwork evolving. I don't know what's been happening there right. since then. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully, it'll come here. The show's great. I saw great. a run through of it. Oh, great! Um, which continues your collaboration with Hal Prince too. Yes, I, run, I, I mean, like amazing. That's been going on for decades. Yeah, now. yeah, really cool. it's pretty nice. Well, truly a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, this wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being interested in this. Yeah. Uh, thank you. For being As you can see, I really <laughs> hesitate to talk about it. So. <laughs> we hesitate to listen. We love you. <laughs> thank you. Make sure you're with us next week because the wizard is in the house. We've got Andre DeShields joining us. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.